Amen. It's good to see the Oberg's faces. Trinity, as we gather to worship this morning, hear these words from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Father, we thank you for this chance to gather, but Lord, we ask that you would remind us of the gift and the blessing it is to be walking in this new way of life following Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that you would remind us that you are a healer and that as we think about our own lives, as we think about the lives of our community, as we think about the lives of the people in our world, we would look to you as the healer that we would submit to your leadership, that we would say, God, have your way among us because we have made a mess of things. Heal us. Forgive us of our sins. Lord, today we have gathered to allow your word and our worship of you to shape our hearts. So, Lord, we, we raise our voices together. We say, bless the Lord, O my soul, that we as a church would look to you for healing Not just to heal up the pain, but Lord, to to renew us with a right mind. So Lord, we, we are here to worship you. May you receive all the glory and honor and praise. Amen. Same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are employed by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one, And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong in the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We're almost done here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, 
the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts, see, those are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and each individually members of it. Good morning, everyone. Here we are in week three of our equipping series, and today we're in the book of 1 Corinthians with a, a letter that Paul's written to the believers there in Corinth. And, and I'm excited for us as we continue to look at this idea of spiritual gifts. You know, spiritual gifts uh, oftentimes are a conversation we have where we think about, we think about them in the context of, of our own identity. What gifts do I have? How can I be using them? How can I feel more uh, fulfilled that I'm, I'm using what I'm supposed to be using and feeling valuable? But we need to remember that spiritual gifts are about building up the body of Christ, building up the church. And it's not for a selfish, ingrown purpose, but so that the, the world might see Jesus Christ in the church as it gathers in community, whether it's in worship or in service or in teaching or, or in fellowship together, our world needs to see Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned, oftentimes we think of these spiritual gifts in the sense of, of wonder of our own lives, right? We think of it in the context of our own lives. We think, God, what gift have you given me? How, how can I walk more in line with your will by living out the, or by exercising the gifts that you've given me and, and, and though these questions are not bad to ask, what gifts have I been given? How can I use them? The, the questions we really need to wrestle with are the ones that we don't oftentimes invite ourselves to ask. The, the questions that, that, that really help us to explore spiritual gifts in the context of them not being about ourselves, not being about us, but, but about being about others. See, you, you, you've heard the saying, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody is around to hear it, does it still make a sound? Or, or maybe, maybe you're familiar with the saying, if a man speaks in the forest and there's no woman around, is he still wrong? Well, well this is true for spiritual gifts as well, right? By the way, I'm, I'm actually officially, as of this moment, free for lunch, dinner, and I may need a place to sleep tonight, so uh, you, you can reach me at dan at trinityfairfield.org if, if anyone's willing to help. But, uh, but, but this is true of spiritual gifts, in that, if a, if, um, sorry, if a follower of Jesus exercises a spiritual gift in the woods and no one's around to see it or to experience it or to benefit from it, is it a gift or even spiritual? I, I would say no. 
Is it a spiritual gift that's even been exercised? I would say no. Why? Because spiritual gifts are not meant for the individual believer, but for much more than that. They're meant to work in cooperation with other gifts for a purpose. And in fact, I think that the purpose is ultimately for the benefit of the world. So this morning, we want to take a look at what Paul has to say in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and I'm going to encourage us to, to walk along together through the passage. So feel free to open your Bibles and follow along. Uh, we're going to be here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and our passage, I think, bl- uh, begins with, with a definition of spiritual gifts that's very helpful in understanding this more global purpose of spiritual gifts. Take a look at verse 7 with me. He says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, a manifestation, it's not necessarily something we we talk about in the context of our day-to-day living, but but it's this clear indication of the existence or the presence of some person or something. When I go in my living room, I know that my son has been there. I know that he's manifested himself because I see his socks strewn about the living room, just left wherever wherever he threw them, right? I know my daughter is at the dinner table with me when she starts humming while she eats, right? She makes her presence known. Maybe a more negative example, but I think one that could help us understand this idea of the Spirit manifesting the presence of Jesus is the idea of when our children are sick, when our our babies are sick. I don't know if you know this, but babies can't talk and tell you when they're sick or not feeling well. So, so, so we have other things that help us understand that there's something going on, that there's a virus present in their bodies. They, they spike a fever. When you have a newborn, uh, the, the pediatrician oftentimes tells you to keep an eye on their, their temperature if they seem like they're not doing well. A, a, a rash will develop, and, and when you see that rash, when you, when you sense that your child is hot and that they have a fever, you know that there's a virus present in their body. That virus has manifested itself through a, a fever or through a rash. Now, I know it's, it's not exactly a positive example, but, but this is how it is with, with spiritual gifts and the, li- the, the lives of believers. There are places where God's presence and power shows up and is illuminated in our lives. And that others, those who are recipients of the benefit of these gifts, the, the world around us, then get to see Jesus Christ. See, when someone exercises the spiritual gift of mercy with someone who who needs to be cared for, who needs encouragement, who needs someone investing in their life, Jesus is made visible. When, when When a follower of Jesus exercises the gift of giving generously to another who's in need, Jesus is made visible. When a follower of Jesus speaks a word from the Lord into the life of another person and it comes at just the right time and it's just the right word, we come to see Jesus. When the Holy Spirit does the miraculous within the body of his church, Jesus is made visible. That's what makes spiritual gifts so unique. They're a place where Jesus is made visible. He's not some distant God who sits on his throne and looks down upon his creation. God is present with us through Jesus Christ, who's given us his Holy Spirit, who dwells in us. So when his spirit is manifested in us through the exercising of spiritual gifts, the world sees Jesus. But being seen by the world through our spiritual gifts is not God's only purpose. 
See, he cares about saving the world. He cares about not just being known. He doesn't want to be a billboard that they drive past on the highway. He wants to come and make his home within their own hearts, to rescue them and redeem them from the, the, the penalty of sin, the, the burden of responsibility of sin that we each own in this world. He wants to take ownership of it. Paul told the Corinthian church that God gives these gifts to his people as he wills. As he wills. It's, it's his plan, right? It, it, it's God's purpose. It's God's will. It's God's plan. And it's his will to seek and to save the lost. You know, we, we, one of the more well-memorized verses in the Bible is John 3.16, right? And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. He sent us his son because he loves us. Because he loved not just his church, he loves the world. And he wants to save the lost in the world. And so not only has God sent us his son, but he's sent us the church as the church into the world to take part in this ministry of reconciliation. If he sent his son Jesus to this world, then, then it's our responsibility as his body to be a part of that ministry where as we go out into the world, as he exercises the spiritual gifts in us, as we submit to his leadership and let those gifts be exercised, the world sees Jesus. Not just a, a being, a person, a power, but a loving and forgiving and gracious and compassionate presence and power. See, spiritual gifts are not meant for our own benefit, but for his plan. God doesn't bless me with the gift of giving so I can give myself lots of things. He doesn't give me the gift of teaching so I can stay cloistered up in the library reading and learning to my own heart's content with no plan to share what I'm learning with others. God gives us gifts for his purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, Paul says, All these spiritual gifts, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit, Right? They're, they're empowered by God. They're not ours to exercise. They're not, they're, they're, they're not given so that we can seem more skillful or powerful. But they're empowered by one and the same Spirit for who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I think we have to remember that these gifts aren't our gifts. And they're not meant for our purposes. Here, here's the thing. I didn't think that I would ever stand in the pulpit and use Homer Simpson as an example in one of my sermons. But in the first season, there's this one episode where his wife Marge has a birthday, and, you know, as is not uncommon for husbands, he forgot to get her a gift. And so, last minute, he decides to give her a bowling ball, a custom-made bowling ball. And on that bowling ball has the name Homer inscribed on it. Now, here's the thing. Not only is it a last-minute gift that Homer's giving to his wife, Marge, but it's, it's a bowling ball, which she doesn't bowl, but ironically, he does go bowling, and, and it doesn't even have her name on it. It has his name. See, Homer is a great example of what not to do, not only as a husband, but in the exercising of our spiritual gifts. Oftentimes, we, we take these gifts that God has given us and we use them in a way that, that leads to our own personal benefit, whether it strikes, uh, I'm sorry, strokes our ego or encourages us or, or makes us feel like we are further along, more mature, more wiser, more knowledgeable than someone else in the church or, or, or better off than someone else in our community. Our spiritual gifts oftentimes become places where we 
maybe even unintentionally, use them to our own benefit. Just like Homer gave a gift to Marge that really only benefited himself, so we sometimes use these gifts to our, our own benefit. How often do we use the gift that, that's meant to benefit others? How often do we not just use it, but, but use it in a way that's meant to benefit others, instead of positioning it to benefit ourselves? Church, I think there are a number of us who are sitting on our uh, hands at this moment. There are a number of us sitting on some pretty excellent spiritual gifts that your church needs you to contribute, that the body of Christ needs you to contribute. This is not making sure we have enough volunteers at the door. This is a matter of us being the church and fulfilling the purpose for which God has gathered us together. That, that we have a mission to be the light of the world. But here's the thing, and I think I'm guilty of this as well in, in, in many ways, that, that I think we've been sitting down for such a time that, that, that our body parts have become numb. They've, they've fallen asleep. You know that tingling feeling you get when you've been sitting for too long in, in your legs or, or, or maybe you've been sitting on your, your leg funny or something like that or, or maybe you've been holding your arm in a funny, funny way and, and it goes numb and you get that, that falling asleep feeling? I wonder if, if this is how it's been for us when God has given us these spiritual gifts and we've just sat on them rather than allow him to exercise them in our lives. And, and so you know what we have to do? We have to get up and walk around a little bit as a church. Our spiritual gifts are meant to be, to be building us up and strengthening us so that we might be a stronger, visible representation of Jesus Christ in this world. So, so you know what? We've, we've got to take some risks. We, we've got to start trying out these different gifts. We need to start seeing, hey, God, is this a gift you've given me to exercise? We, we need to not sit back and, and use the excuse, I don't know what my gift is. Listen, look at the passages we've been looking at in the past couple weeks and even into next week. The gifts are spoken of in the Bible. They're there. There's places we can go to study them and learn them. There's conversations we can have with other believers in the church that can help us to explore these gifts more. You can listen to the podcast. We have resources available for you to explore the gifts. The, the issue is not information about the gifts. That's available to us. The issue is we kind of have to get up and walk around a little bit till that tingling, falling asleep feeling has gone away. See, this is why Paul says that the manifestation of the Spirit is for the common good. Because when the, when the church wakes up, when the church starts moving around, when the church starts using their gifts in cooperation with one another, man, the, the world experiences the presence and the power of Jesus Christ in places where Jesus wants his power and presence to be made known. The world doesn't want to see me walking around by myself. I know I'm not much to look at walking around by myself. The world wants to see God's power and presence at work in his church. See, the, the body of Christ needs to be seen in places like Minnesota. and It needs to be seen in places like New York City or, or, or other cities, Bridgeport, where there's so much violence and, and strife. Not just violence, I'm sorry, that, that characterizes it wrong. Where there's so much division there's so much devaluing of human beings. We need to be, as a church, united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be aware of our spiritual gifts in cooperation with one another so that when, when the world looks at the church, they see a place of grace and forgiveness, peace. 
And that means that we need to be called to living out the Word of God better amongst our fellowship. This week, uh, as I mentioned, uh, a gentleman, a, a black man named George Floyd, was killed by a police officer. And in response, people have woken up in some ways to a need for change in our world. Protests have erupted in neighborhoods and, and neighborhoods have been destroyed. See, neither of these responses are correct. But there is much brokenness, much healing that needs to go on. And I would venture to say that, that a lot of that brokenness is, is unknown, is unseen, is unrecognized. But we can't go on letting it go unknown and unrecognized. If we are followers of Christ, if we are the church, then we uniquely have a place to speak into this situation. Because we follow a God who created all people in his image. Yes, we can say that that image has been marred by sin. But there is still that image of God that, that we were called to love and respect in one another. That, that as the church gathers around the, the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that, that he's responsible for redeeming this world, when we entrust ourselves into his hands and let his power and his presence do its thing through our spiritual gifts as we gather together and cooperate with one another, then maybe we can be an example of unity, uh, of speaking into the, the racism that we see in our world today of speaking into the, the number of issues that create division and, and that, that actually leave people feeling devalued as a human being. See, the church can and should have something to say when our world exhibits the darkness and brokenness that becomes evident in events like this past week. Jesus has something to say when these things happen. Jesus wants to be visible in our world. And so for my part, I have to get in the game. I have to learn to trust his spirit and trust that his spirit can be made visible in me and that Jesus can speak into this horrific situation. But I've got to, I've got to get in the game. I've got to walk, keep in step with the spirit, as Paul says in Galatians. I've, I've got to learn to, to listen for his gentle guidance I, I need to not be consumed with thinking how incapable I am or, 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 or have insecurity with my abilities or my gifts, but trust that if he's called me to this situation, to speak into a situation, that he's also going to empower me and lead me and guide me because his Holy Spirit, who is within me, is manifest through these gifts, and these gifts are empowered by him. See, we as a church have to join our gifts together. And when we do, Jesus will be even more visible. Jesus says in Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world, right? He tells the church, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. See, what we have to understand here is he's not talking to an individual here. He's talking to the church. He's understanding that, that he wasn't creating a, a country club, a, a community organization where people could gather. He was creating a vehicle through which his body would go forth and the good news of Jesus Christ would be shared with the world. The contrast of light and darkness is a contrast that he draws between uh, sin and, and the peace of the garden, righteousness and, and, and brokenness, right? And, and, 
And Jesus wants the church to be a place that represents righteousness and, and forgiveness and grace and compassion. He doesn't want us to be a place that, that is okay with the brokenness of our society. I'm using this as the example this week because the life of George Floyd should not pass without being recognized. What happened to him was not okay. It was inhumane. It was, it was defiling the image of God in another being. And we as a church have a voice. Not, 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 a, not a voice that, that is driven by social feelings or, or a, a political viewpoint, a voice that's driven by our faith. And that voice is one that we need to be united in as a church. That as we gather together, as we're brought together to exercise our gifts in cooperation with one another, as we build up the church in unity, we become like that city set on a hill, a light that can't be hidden. We become an example that when, when there's fighting and, and strife and, and anger and pain and hurt out there in the world, people can look to us and see humility and sacrifice and love and compassion and listening and understanding because we are led by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. We need to be a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. It's not a preacher at the pulpit who's the light of the world. It's not the preacher who, at the pulpit who is set on a hill. It's the church made up of spirit-gifted and spirit-empowered followers of Jesus Christ. Church, I'll say it again. I believe our world needs to see this body of Christ. But I think before we can speak into society, before we can be an example for our culture, we need to make sure that we're on the right page and the same page right here within the body. And so in verse 7, Paul uses the Greek word simpharo for common good. He, he uses simpharo to, to, to express not just that, that it's for the benefit of one another, but it's literally to bring us together around the benefit of one another. Within the new community founded in Jesus, we're, we're not divided. We're not jockeying for position over those around us. We're not trying to exhibit, here's my gift, Sorry, God hasn't given that one to you. This is not a competition. This is not a one-upsmanship. This is not a community where we need to feel like we're on the in-group and there's others who are on the out. This is not a clicky society, even though we oftentimes do create a culture within the church that becomes clicky, that people do feel like they are less than than others within the church. See, we don't consider some people, some parts, some gifts as more important than others. We don't consider our own wants and our own needs within the body of Christ. That's not an example that Jesus has set for us. We may look or sound different. We may have grown up in different areas. We may come from different income brackets. We may even serve in different roles, but it's all for one common purpose, one common goal, one common good. Look at what Paul says in verses 12 and 13 of our passage. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with the church. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 
The spiritual gifts that God has given us is for the common good of building up the body of Christ, of building up one healthy church. And so here in this letter, Paul tells us that that these spiritual gifts are from God, they're empowered by God, and therefore God's purpose, the purpose of the world seeing Jesus' presence here with us, visible within the church. I mean, if if you look in the news this week, If you look at examples where there is pain and sorrow, grief, anger, violence. If you look into the news and see these things, can you imagine what it would be like for a united church to step into that place and to speak the love of God there? To to humbly and sacrificially seek forgiveness for our inaction, and then to be humble in being willing to listen to others who are experiencing pain that we don't understand. Can you imagine what the church would be like to be an example of of compassion and grace? I wonder, I dream, maybe this is, maybe I imagine and I hope that it would be like a a cool bucket of water on a hot fire. I hope and I believe that that's what the church can be as it empowers and embodies, or as it's empowered by the Holy Spirit and as it embodies the presence of Jesus in our world. But there's one more characteristic of these spiritual gifts that I think we need to keep in mind. One more place that Paul takes us before the end of our passage. God values each and every gift. Each and every gift is represented in the members of the body of Christ. Each one is important to him. Each one is necessary. That, that means each of us, each of us as believers, if, sorry, let me back up. If each of us as believers in Christ have been given a gift, then that means that each of us, regardless of the gift we have, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of the amount of money we have in the bank, regardless of our mental ability, regardless of the number of years we've been going to church, regardless of how much of the Bible we know, each and every one of us are valuable in God's eyes. In fact, each and every human being has value in God's eyes, and I've touched on that, and we'll, we'll touch upon it later, but for the sake of our passage today, Paul says in verse 20 to 22 these words, As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Every part of the body, every gift, every believer is necessary to the church. Hear me say this, because I think sometimes... We show up at church, and we notice a few on the stage. We, we recognize that there's a few in, in the, the balcony, in the booth, working the sound and, and the projection. We, we understand there's a few that seem to be running the church. But that's not reality. That's not truth. That's not the church being the church. The fact of the matter is that each member of the church, each member of the body of Christ, with their spiritual gift, is indispensable. Right? It's not a matter of choice or preference. It was determined long ago. You, you need each other. We need each other. It's, it's why Paul doesn't say the eye shouldn't say to the hand, I have no need of you. 
He's not offering a correction. He's saying the eye cannot. It's impossible. It's impossible for the eye to say to the hand, I have no need of you. It would actually be a lie for the eye to say that because it's just not true. See, I think this is a bit of a conviction to me, and let me explain why. Because I, I, don't, like, I don't like needing help. I like giving help. I like using my spiritual gift, but I don't like being the recipient of a spiritual gift. Why? I don't like appearing to need help. My pride says, Dan, there's something wrong with you if you need help, right? I don't like to admit that I don't know the answers. Right? I don't like to, to be dependent on others. Can you relate to that? But, but the reality of the church, right, the reality of who we are is that if we're truly going to grow in maturity together, if Jesus is going to make his presence visible to the world through us, well, then we need to start accepting the help of one another. We need to start living in cooperation with one another's gifts. I need to learn not to say to someone else, this is how you should exercise your spiritual gift. I should be asking the question, how does my spiritual gift cooperate with their spiritual gift and make something better? When I first became a, a youth pastor, they asked me to organize a night of games and teaching. This, this night is actually frozen in my memory. It was maybe a scar. I'm not sure. <laughs> But, but I remember that night because there were kids running everywhere. I may have, I may have yelled a few times. In fact, I know I yelled a few times. And, and here's the thing. No matter how bad that night went, I was too afraid to ask for help. I, I mean, here I am. I'm, I'm new to this position. And, and I was afraid they were going to think, oh, this man, he can't do his job. He can't do this. Listen, I, I challenge you, any of you, to walk into a group of teenagers and organize a night of games. You'll quickly see what I mean. But here's the thing. I, I'm here feeling helpless and afraid to ask for help because I'm afraid to be no, thought that, or I'm afraid for people to think that I can't do my job. But then my wife came along to help me. And, and what I realized is there really is a spiritual gift of administration. There, there really is a gift that I don't have that when I cooperate with someone who does have that gift, it's amazing what can happen. Not only did, did our youth see Tar and I working together, but they also started to experience something kind of beautiful because we weren't competing with one another to, to show why our gift was more important than theirs. We were actually working together. It, it's, it, it's a sense that people are more able to see Jesus when we cooperate together, rather than seeing two followers of Jesus bickering over who's more important or who's, whose gift deserves more airtime. See, I didn't know that there was a spiritual gift that could help me where I was weak. I thought that the most important gift was to get up there and teach the kids from God's word but I didn't realize all the many gifts that it requires to bring the kids to a place, to bring the youth to a place where they can hear me as I share from my heart from the word of God and share to their hearts. All the gifts are indispensable. All the gifts deserve honor. And all the parts of the body deserve the honor and respect given them by their creator. 
Our passage today closes with verses 25 and 26, where, where Paul tells us that God treats the parts of the body like this so that, hear this, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Listen, as the body of Christ, we need to understand that, that my faith is not about me. It's not about me showing up at church on Sunday morning and getting the experience of gathering in this room, going home, and feeling spiritually satisfied that I've done enough or that, that I've, I've got the good piece for this week. It's not enough that, that I see this as being uh, something that, that I can check the box for my, my devotional time. As a believer in Jesus, following Jesus into this new way of life, this new kingdom, then I am, we are members of one another like we looked at last week in Romans. That, that if one of the members of the body is suffering, if, if the toe has an ingrown nail, the rest of the body suffers with it. We can't run. We can't walk as fast. We're, we're going to go a little bit slower. But guess what? The whole body goes together. And we all feel that pain together. If part of the body is recognized, if, if the heart gets a recognition for caring for someone in the community, guess what? The whole body rejoices in that celebration together. And this is why, church, we can't be silent when we see things like we did in the news this week. Because we have people within the body of Christ who are experiencing racism and devaluation this very day. We're not talking about years ago in the past, in the history of our country. We're talking about today. And so when we talk about one member of our church suffering, we need to put our thoughts to that a little bit. We need to give our minds some space to understand that, that we all really suffer together. Here's our option. As a church, let's start not just exploring what spiritual gift do I have, but how does my spiritual gift cooperate with other gifts in the church? How can we be united as a body to be more visible in this world so that Jesus can be more visible in this world? I was talking with Clayton about this passage this week, and he told me this saying I hadn't heard before. He said, in sports, there's a saying, the next man up. In other words, if a player gets injured or, or if there's a problem, there's always another player to take their place, to, to jump into the game so that the, the team can meet, keep moving forward. In other words, players are dispensable, right? There's always someone else to take your spot. But that's not true in the church. See, in the church, if one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all are honored together. God's great design for the church as it's meant to be is that there would be no division in the body. As we think about uh, what our plan is to regather in this building and regather for worship, as we think about what's happening in our world, we need to keep this central purpose of the church before us, that there may be no division in the body, that, that, that we would not look to leave a body part behind because it can't keep up because of its age or because of some pre, pre, um, pre-existing condition. But, in, but instead, we need, to, we need to focus on being united in the body. How can my gift encourage those who are, who are feeling left behind right now? How can I remind them that we are one body? How can we be an example to our world, to our economy, to our culture, of what it means to be united 
around something bigger than itself, the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, God has given each of us spiritual gifts that are empowered by him and for his purposes. So I say we use them. I say we use them together. Leave no one behind. Value each and every member, and let's allow the world to see Jesus' power and his presence among us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, your gifts are powerful. And Lord, I think at times these spiritual gifts have been places of division in your church, ironically so. But Lord, I pray that that would not be true for us. But that we would not just be focused on what gift we have, but what gifts are around us within the body of Christ that we might exercise together and be a manifestation of your power and your presence in this world. Be a manifestation of God's grace and forgiveness. Be a manifestation of Jesus' ability to heal and bind up our brokenness. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be more cooperative with your Holy Spirit. That we would be aware of your Holy Spirit working in us. And that we would cooperate with the direction you're having us go. Have your way in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. World, how do my spiritual gifts from God, how do they serve the world around me? If you're asking that question this morning and you don't have an answer, you don't have a clear, defined path in front of you on how to exercise that, then you need to come to Jesus. If you're asking yourself that question and you don't have the answer, then now you need to come to Jesus and you need to ask Him. And His Spirit, through which all these gifts have power, through which all these gifts have appointment, have assignment, through which all these things have been given to us, will respond. We're going to sing a song right now to that end. I want you, if you can sing, I want you to sing. But if you don't have an answer to these questions, if you feel unsettled by all of this, then while we sing this morning, I want you to pray. I want you to seek an answer from the Spirit of God this morning. I want you to ask Him to speak to you, to give you enlightenment, to give you direction on just exactly how you can serve during this time. This is the Winters family and uh, Trinity. We just had a few things we wanted to talk to you about that are coming up soon. Something we're really excited about is that on the 14th of June, we are going to have a collaborative worship service with the folks at Crossroads. Dan and I and Pastor Tom and Ben have all been talking about what that might look like. The planning is going really well. We're very excited and hope you are too. Something else we're looking forward to is this Wednesday, we're going to be releasing another podcast episode. We hope that you've been enjoying those, but this week be listening for a new special guest. Today we also have prayer at two o'clock and would love for you all to come. Um, There will be a link on the website as far as um, the Zoom number to get you into that. And we also are going to be taking communion at home next week. So just be prepared next Sunday for that. Thank you guys so much. We miss you and love you. And we look forward to seeing seeing you soon.
It's exciting to see that God is on the move in our community, in our world, and so, Trinity, I hope that you know you're a part of that. Let's exercise the spiritual gifts that God's given us. Let's trust the Holy Spirit to work in us, to empower us, and to lead us so that he might be manifest to our world that so badly needs to see Jesus' love and grace and forgiveness and power to heal. So I'm going to send you now with these words from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.